Well, good evening. It's good to see you. Welcome to our Bible study time as we look at the Gospel of John, a portrait of Jesus, and we are to chapter 4 tonight looking at the uh, Samaritan woman and then Jesus healing healing a nobleman's son. And it has a close connection to John 3. We're going to see that last Wednesday night. Uh, we saw where Nicodemus and Jesus had the conversation, and Jesus talked about new birth and talked about water uh, as a symbol of life. And tonight, he's doing the same close connection between chapter 3 and Nicodemus, chapter 4 and the Samaritan woman. So we'll see the connectedness of that tonight as well. Let's pray together, and we'll get started before I do. I want to welcome those joining us by live stream. We always have a large number of people on Wednesday night studying God's Word with us all over the state of Texas. In fact, many places throughout the United States. So welcome wherever you are tonight joining us by live stream and a good crowd here in person. So good to see all of you as well. Let's pray together and we'll start. Father, thank you tonight for the opportunity to study your word together. Thank you, Father, for what it means to us as we read through this, knowing God that it not only applied to the day in which Jesus spoke it, applies to us today. And I'm so thankful for your word. I pray that God, you would teach us tonight through the Holy Spirit, open up our minds in our hearts and open up the Word. And God, help us to relive the account of Jesus and the conversations that He had with these two individuals tonight so that we can better learn from it, grow in our faith, and be better believers uh, and followers of You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, turn with me the ESV version, John chapter 4 tonight. We're looking at our fall Bible study, A Portrait of Jesus, based primarily on what he said rather than what he, what he did. John, uh, Mark tells us more of what he did, and of course, John, more of what he said. We find out who he is and a picture of Christ. So as we begin tonight, first question I want to ask is, before we get into the chapter, how do you treat those people whom you dislike? Think about that. How do you treat those people you don't like that well? Now, there, I know you, well, I like everybody. No, there are some people you don't get along as well with as others. I mean, we're in church, let's be honest. How do you treat those that you dislike? Probably most of you are going to say, I just ignore them. Probably. I just ignore them. Get my jabs in where I can, maybe. But otherwise, I ignore them. So, how do you treat uh, Democrats or Republicans or those that wear masks or those that don't wear masks, those that haven't been vaccinated? What do you think about them? Those that have been vaccinated. So, what about those people with whom maybe you don't see eye to eye on everything? Well, Jesus' disciples, they just ignored them. And when they got a chance, they got in their jabs. Jesus loved them. And we're going to see that because tonight he has a conversation with a person who had three strikes against him. She was a woman, she was a Samaritan, and she was in sexual sin. So, three strikes of Jesus just sort of ignored her, Right? But he didn't, and he taught the disciples some valuable lessons, teaches us as well. So let's look at it and look at letter A, first of all tonight, Jesus and the woman of Samaria, chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. 
We begin verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, remember that's how we ended chapter 3, Jesus was baptizing, the disciples were, and they, all of John's disciples were coming over to Jesus. Verse 2, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. So we see there Jesus never baptized anybody. By the way, if baptism was required for salvation, don't you think Jesus would have baptized I mean, just practically, last week we talked about uh, being born of the water and of the Spirit, and so many people, oh, that's baptism. You have to be baptized to be saved. But think about this. If baptism was required, don't you think Christ himself would have baptized somebody? Didn't baptize anybody. So, verse 2, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, verse 3, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now, stop there. Track the movements of Jesus. Fascinating. John 3, he was in Jerusalem, 30 miles away from where he is tonight. So John 3, he's in Jerusalem. Then he went to Judea, and verse 5 says he went to Samaria. You follow him? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he told his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. So, early in his ministry, he's establishing the pattern that the disciples were to do from now on. Jerusalem first, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. So even, it's not just incidental when the Bible tells us where he was. It's telling us something. So he himself left Judea, departed again for for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. Why did he have to? Well, If you've been in church very long at all, you know the story. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. Samaria is right in the dead center of Israel. And so if you go from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south, you have to go right through the middle of Israel. That means Samaria. So the Jews did not want to do that. Number one, they might have to encounter a Samaritan, and they hated them. They didn't want to say anything to them. And second of all, they did not want to get Samaritan dust on their feet. They didn't even want to be soiled by their dirt. So, when you get to the north to the south, or south to the north, instead of going directly, they went all the way around by the Galilee, or by the Jordan River, or all the way by the Mediterranean, the long way around to get from one to the other. And the Bible said Jesus had to go through Samaria to get to the other. He had to. Because he was teaching the disciples a point. He had a conversation with the woman that was revealing that he had to let them know and teach them something. So he had to go through there. Now, just a brief side note. Why did the Samaritans and the Jews hate each other so deeply? It's a hatred that I don't think you and I have, we don't, we don't have an equal for. Well, blacks, whites, no. Um, uh, Democrats are probably, no, no. This is such a deep-seated hatred that Jews actually prayed 
Samaritans would go to hell. In fact, they prayed, God, the final judgment, may there not be any Samaritans that enter into your kingdom. They meant it. So that type of deep-seated hatred, why? What caused it? Well, it's kind of complicated, but let me just give you a, a bird's-eye view of it. If you go back to the Old Testament where the Assyrians invaded Israel and captured some Israelites and carried them away as captive, where they took them from primarily was the central part of the country, right where Samaria is. That's where they took the Israelites from, took them to captivity, and the Assyrians replaced that area with people groups they had conquered. So you have a mixture of people. They're from everywhere. These are all the nations the Assyrians had conquered. They transported them and put them in the central part of Israel. So you have the Israelites north and south, but right in the middle you have a group of of people from non-Jews from everywhere. Okay? Go after the captivity, Israel gets to return to their homeland. And so those that were taken out of the central part returned to the central part. But the other people groups didn't leave. So now you have in the middle part, uh, known as Samaria, you have Israelites and non-Israelites living together they eventually started to intermarry. So what you have, the intermarriages became known as Samaritans. So true Jews saw them as cop-outs. You sacrifice the pure faith of Yahweh to intermarry with somebody of another faith. You're, you're defiled. And they saw their children as half-breeds, half-Jews, half-whatever they are, another nation. And so they saw them as someone who sold out the faith, didn't love Yahweh as much as they did. They were not pure Jews, and to Jews, the lineage is everything. Not pure Jews, they're good-for-nothings. In return, the Samaritans hated the Jews because they looked down their noses at them. So, they decided to duplicate everything in the central part of Israel that Israel had in the rest of the nation. Worship of Jerusalem, worship in Jerusalem, now was worship at Mount Gerizim in the center part. And so, the Samaritans started making up stories. We're going to have our own Bible. So, they came up with their own Bible. It's known as the Samaritan Bible. In fact, by the way, today there are still Samaritans living in the center part of Israel and they still worship. They're called the Samaritan Jews. And they still have their own faith. They still have their own Torah. They have their own Bible. They accept only the first five books of the Bible and Joshua, and that's it. And so even to this day, they're still there. And so they duplicated everything that the Jews had, but they made it their own. So there was an ongoing debate, where's the real place to worship? Jerusalem or at Mount Gerizim in the center part of the nation. Well, the Samaritans said Mount Gerizim is more centrally located and should be our place of worship anyway. Jerusalem's too far south. And not only that, Abraham sacrificed Isaac on Mount Gerizim. He didn't, but they said that. And so they tried to duplicate everything that the Jews had 
and just make up their own religion. And they did. So you have this deep-seated hatred between the Samaritans in the center part of the nation and the rest of the Jews everywhere else. By the way, today the center part of the nation is known as the West Bank. And it's primarily made up of Palestinians. So the hatred's still there. Jews Gentile or, or Jews Palestinians, West Bank versus the rest of Israel. And so you still have the geographical distinction today you had all the way back in John 4. And they still hate each other. And so that's the background for Jesus now, instead of going all the way around, he's going directly through the center part. He had to go through Samaria. Verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which would make it about 1 p.m. in the afternoon. Now, Sychar, by the way, if we stop at verse, five, at verse 6 there, Sychar is still there today as well. It's the city of Nablus, N-A-B-L-U-S in Israel, city of about 125,000 people. By the way, Jacob's well is still there. If you go to Nablus today, you can go about five miles outside of town, and there's Jacob's well, about 75 feet deep today, which is still one of the deeper wells in all of Israel, 150 feet deep in, in John 4, but it's only about, 50, about 75 feet deep now. Still a deep well and still drink from it and, and from the cistern that runs from it. And it's still, it's a, um, a tourist site today. A lot of tourists stop and see Jacob's well. So it is still there today. Verse 7, And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, that's odd. First of all, you don't draw water in the heat of the day. Um, you draw water in the early morning or late afternoon because it's very hot there, much hotter than here. It gets up to 116, 118 degrees there. In fact, that's why we don't go to Israel any time after about March. Just way too hot. And so you, didn't, you don't draw water at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And, and a woman does not come by herself. So what does this tell us about her? Tell us that she tells us that she has a very poor reputation. Most likely, she was either a prostitute or she was a woman of ill repute or she was just immoral in some way. And she was by herself. Women didn't travel by the, if they had any kind of uh, uh, male to go with them, they went with them. She's by herself. She's a woman. It's the heat of the day. She is the last She's the last candidate Jesus should talk to, if you just look at her morals. And she's the one he picked out. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone in away into the city to buy food. Now, Jewish custom was you didn't get anything from Samaritans. You didn't ask them for anything. They're hated. You don't ask them for anything. You don't buy anything from them. You don't do business with them. You just don't, you just ignore them. So she had to be shocked that a Jew asked her for something. He asked her for a drink of water. 
Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So she's probably wondering, what do you want? Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, what did he mean by the gift of God? If you had known the gift of God, well, some say it was the Torah. If you had known your Bible, you'd have known what I'm about to talk to you about. Well, maybe. Could be eternal life. If you knew anything about eternal life, you would know the one talking to you can give it to you. Because he'd just been talking about eternal life in chapter 3 with Nicodemus. So, verse 10, or rather verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? So, what we see here is a woman who's being very sarcastic with Jesus. Two responses, and both of them were sarcastic. Because she hated Jews as much as Jews hated her. She's wondering, where's the catch? When's he going to get a jab in? I'm going to get a jab in first. When's he going to drop the hammer? Because I know it's coming. So, she's very sarcastic. You don't even have anything to draw with. Where is this, quote, living water you're going to give me? So verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and he drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up in eternal life. So, what's Jesus doing? He's using a conversation about something that they knew about every day, water. And he gives it a spiritual emphasis. Did the same thing with Nicodemus. New birth, water. And he brought to him the concept of eternal life. He's doing the same thing here. He takes everyday objects and he gives them a spiritual meaning so they can understand it. And she's still not getting it. Verse 15, the woman said, Sir, and the sir is always very sarcastic, by the way, give me this water that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Again, very sarcastic. Oh, if you have living water that will never run dry, would you please give me some so I don't have to come back out here in the heat of the day anymore? And Jesus said to her, verse 16, now it starts to get interesting. Go call your husband and come here. Now, why would he say that? Because the custom was in those biblical days, a woman by herself in public, if you wanted to, if a man of honor or respect wanted to give her an object, you'd always have her go call her husband because you didn't want anyone to think there was anything, there was an ulterior motive to what you were doing with her. And so, Jesus said, go get your husband. I want to give you something. 
And she sarcastically says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right in saying I have no husband. You've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. All of a sudden, she begins to realize this man knows more about me than I think. Now, how would she have had five husbands? Well, Levitical law was if, you lit, die, if your husband dies, you marry the brother. If he dies, you marry the next brother and next brother. Or if, the brother, if there are no more brothers left, you marry next of kin. That way a woman always has someone to provide for her because she was no more than property in those days. And so it's very unusual that she would have had five husbands die. Most likely she had either left them or divorced them or she was just very immoral, most likely the latter. So whenever he said, you said it right, you don't have, you don't have a husband, you have five of them and you're, not, and you're living together now with who you're with. And all of a sudden she realized, uh-oh, verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. You think? Now, Samaritans did not believe in prophets. The last prophet they accepted as a prophet was Moses, Deuteronomy 18, 18. After that, no more prophets. So the fact that she called him a prophet in verse 19 is saying something. Because it's an affirmation of faith in a way of saying, whoa, you're the first prophet since Moses. You've just told me everything about myself. So it's time to change the subject. Let's divert the topic to something we disagree on. Let's, let's stop, stop talking about me. Let's start arguing about church. Let's start arguing about religion. So verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Oh, we're going to Mount Gerizim, Jerusalem again. Okay, that was the hot topic of the day. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say Jerusalem is the place to where people ought to worship. She just makes a statement going, oh, that's going to get a rise out of him because that's the number one thing they argued about. Where do you worship? Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim? And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father you worship what you do, know, do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and, the now, and, the, and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. He was saying, ma'am, where you worship is not as important as how you worship. You worship in spirit and truth. That's how you worship. It doesn't matter if you're at Gerizim or Jerusalem. The hour is coming and it's here now when worship must be through me. And then verse 24 says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
Now, there are those that look at this verse, verse 24, and say, ah, maybe there are more gods than one. Why would they say that? Because the first part of verse 24, it says God is spirit. It doesn't say the spirit. Definite article's not there. It could be translated a spirit. So, if John tells us God is a spirit, does that mean there could be other spirits up there like him? The answer is no. Because of the construction. If you ever read that, and you might, because of the construction, it's called a hendiasis, is what it's called in Greek, which there's no definite article, but whenever you have two objects, they appear as one, spirit and truth. So in other words, he's a spirit truth. He's the only spirit truth. It only is the context, the, the construction means there's only one. So it's not saying there are more than one God here. It's saying the one God is spirit truth. And that's how you worship him is in spirit and truth. So the woman, verse 25, said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The only time Jesus ever directly from his mouth said, I am the Messiah, until he was questioned at his trial. The only time, and it wasn't revealed to the Jews, wasn't revealed to the disciples. It was revealed to a hated, immoral woman. And that's who Jesus revealed himself to. Now look at letter B on your outline. Let's go to verses 27 to 38, the teaching of the disciples. Jesus is teaching them a point. They came back, verse 27. They'd been out to get food, remember, in town. They came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. Because men didn't talk to women alone in those days. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Notice what happened. Disciples show up. She runs back into town to tell everybody that she's met the Messiah. And she even left her water jar. That's what she came for, water. So people see this as, oh, wow, well, you know, this is, that's interesting. That's what she came for. She left and went back. But a lot of people see symbolism there. Symbolism that she left the water, the symbolic eternal life, to go into town to what she came there for, she left. She left the water jar, went into town and said, could this be the Christ? But she put it in a question form so they could decide for themselves. Is this Messiah or not? And they were all starting to wonder. Meanwhile, the disciples, verse 31, they were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. In other words, it is more satisfying what I just did. That conversation I just had was more satisfying than food. I would rather have a spiritual conversation about eternal life with a lady who needs it and needs a life change. I'd rather do that than eat. So the disciples said to one another, has somebody brought him something to eat? 
Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You see what happened? The woman was thinking about water, and Jesus was trying to get her attention off the water to see spiritual matters. The disciples were thinking about food, and Jesus was trying to get their mind off food to think about spiritual matters. They both were focused on down here, and he was trying to get them up here. I wonder how many times we're like that. God tries to get our attention on what really matters, and we're too busy on things down here. Verse 35, Jesus said, Do you not say there are four months in the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Disciples, there are Samaritans all around you that need life, and you hate them. I wonder how many people around us need life, and all we talk about COVID and politics. Lift up your eyes. They're everywhere. Verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. In other words, there are Samaritans here that I have prepared their hearts, but you don't even see them because you hate them and they need life. So this was a powerful lesson for the disciples, powerful lesson for us as well. So it's probably good for us not to see people as Democrat, Republican, vaccinated, not vaccinated, masked, no mask, but maybe see them as people who need life and need Christ. Go letter C on your outline, verse 39 to 40, 45. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told all that ever he did. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, something the Jews didn't even do. And he stayed two days. And many more believed because of his word. So if you remember a couple of chapters ago, the, the Jewish religious leaders rejected him, and now the Samaritan half-breeds accepted him. Stayed two more days. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said we believe. We've heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That phrase, the Savior of the world, the only time it occurs in all the Gospels. And it comes from the mouths of hated Samaritans. Not disciples, not Jews, not religious leaders, not church folks the hated outcasts, the only one who said, you're the Savior of the world. After the two days, verse 43, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen that all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Now, I want you to see something right quick before we move on to the last section, then we'll close. Nicodemus, John 3, Samaritan woman, John 4. 
I want you to see how, what, what they're like. Nicodemus, male. Samaritan woman, female. Pure Jew, Samaritan, half-breed. Social status, highly respected, a teacher, a ruler. A woman, immoral, outcast. The place, Jewish territory, Samaritan territory. The time, Nicodemus came at night. This was at noon. The condition, this was in darkness. This was in light. Look at the setting. Indoors, Nicodemus. Outdoors with the Samaritan woman. Look at the occasion, a planned meeting. Nicodemus came by night. It was planned. This was spontaneous. Look at the subject. New birth. Living water. Look who initiated it. Nicodemus initiated it. Jesus initiated it. But who received him? Nicodemus later, but the Samaritans did immediately. So what Jesus was teaching the disciples was this. You know you hate those folks. You've hated them for years. But they're the ones that received me, not my own people. Now let's go to the last section, and I'll show you how it all fits together. Last section, letter D, Jesus heals an official son. Verse 46 to 54. So he came again to Cana. It's going to be significant. In Galilee, where he made the water wine. Remember chapter 2, Cana, the wedding, water's turned into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Cana and Capernaum are 13 miles apart. So Jesus is at Cana, this man and his son, whose son is sick about to die, is in Capernaum. The man travels 13 miles to Cana to talk to Jesus about healing his son. Verse 47, when this man heard Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. So his request was, would you come to Capernaum, 13 miles away, and heal my son? For he's at the point of death. Verse 48. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. No, no, wait a second. He didn't do what the man asked. The father asked, would you come to Capernaum, 13 miles away, and heal my son? Jesus didn't do what he asked, but he gave him a promise. If you go back home, your son will live. Jesus may not do what we ask. He may only give you a promise, but that's enough. He said, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke. And he went on his way. Okay, just being a dad for a moment, I don't think I've done that. I think I'd said if Cameron was about to die, I think, and I traveled 13 miles, and I believed Jesus could come back and heal him, I would have said, Jesus, would you please come back to Capernaum? We'd just go. He'd be, no, 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 no. I need you to go. 
Because never before had he spoken and it happened remotely. It always happened when he was there. Ali said, no, no, you need to come with me. No, you just go. No, 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 no. I wouldn't have left and traveled 13 miles back just hoping when I got there he'd be alive. So what the man just demonstrated was faith. He just left thinking, okay, I'll take him his word. Never happened before. Take him his word. And he left. Verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him his son was recovering. He probably saw the servants coming. I thought, oh, no, they've got bad news. He's died. But they told him he's getting better. And he asked, what hour did he begin to get better? Verse 52. And they said, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all of his household. So what do we have tonight? We have Samaritans believing in him and now a Jew believing in him. And the last verse says, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's talk about the last verse and then we'll close. Why did it tell us that's the second miracle he did at Cana? To look at something. You to imagine verses chapters 2 through 4 as stair steps that go up to the top, down the other side. Okay? You got it? Stair steps up, down the other side. We start on the first rung, Cana. Chapter 2, the water turned into wine. We go one step further, he went to Capernaum where he validated who he was to them. One step further up the rung, hostility there. The Jews rejected him. They hated him, made plans to start to kill him. Next rung up, Nicodemus, conversation with the Jew. Top of the rung, Jesus' mission. Now let's go down the other side. Corresponding to Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, Go down one more rung, corresponding to hostility of the Jews, acceptance of the Samaritans. They believed in him. Go down the next rung, Capernaum. Where was the boy ill? Capernaum. Go down to the bottom rung. Where did it start? Cana. Water was turned into wine. Where does this end? This is now the second sign Jesus did in Cana. And so what Jesus is building here is a structure of his mission. Jews are rejecting. Those that you think would not accepting are accepting. Which side are you? And he's setting the foundation. Now, we have a few minutes for questions, comments. Um, if you want, have them come to the microphones, if you will, so those live stream can, can hear as well. So then we'll get to chapter 5 next week. Questions or comments you have? Nothing at all? Yes, yes, Paul. Pastor Greg, what yes. I don't understand is verse 25 and 26. Uh -huh. Why did Jesus reveal himself at that time to, it had to be her faith? 
I'm sorry, the, the last part. It had to be her face. Exactly, exactly right. He revealed himself to, to who you wouldn't think he would reveal himself to. You'd think he'd be revealing himself to the, to the Jews. They were hostile, so he didn't. But you're right, it was her faith at that time is why he revealed, I, I am the Messiah. She already expressed it earlier by saying, I, I perceive you're a prophet. And that's already saying, you're, you're the best since Moses. And so you see faith slowly building in her, and then he revealed himself to her, and then she ran telling who he was. And the others believed. So, yeah, you're right. I think it was, his, it was her faith why he revealed the Messiahship to her. Absolutely. Good question. Any other questions? Anything else? Charlie. <laughs> That's okay. People can hear you on, online. You got me mixed up here. Um, you say they don't like the Jews, the Samaritans don't, but the well is named after Jacob. Why did, uh, is Jacob a Samaritan? Jacob is one that they both agreed on was a early father. Anything in the first five books of the Bible in Genesis, they're going to agree on, uh, the Samaritans and the Jews. They both agreed that he was a patriarch, and so they were both fine with Jacob. And so that's why that the commonality of Jacob that she mentioned here. So they would both be fine with Jacob, the Samaritans and the Jews. Well, she, she called that well my father Jacob's mm -hmm. well. Yes, they both saw Jacob as father, absolutely. Yeah, they both agreed on that. Yeah, and they, they just disagreed after the, the Torah was over, the first five books. After that, they started disagreeing on everything. Worship, uh, in fact, even to this day, the Samaritan Jews, as they, they worship on, on Sabbath, they still, they'll still go by the first five books of the Bible. Now, they've changed portions of it, but they both agree on the patriarchs and the church fathers. So. I really appreciate your teaching. Appreciate that. Thanks, Charlie. Thank you. All right. Anything else? Okay. We'll close, and then we'll pick up with chapter 5 of, of John next week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you tonight for the opportunity again to study your word, and thank you, Lord, for how Jesus revealed himself so systematically and so perfectly and God, I just pray that we'll continue to pick up more details as to who he is, what he was about, so we also, Father, can follow you more closely. Lord, I just pray the Samaritans in our lives, you'll help us to love them, lift up our eyes and see that the fields are white unto harvest, and there are many of those out there who need life and they need you. May we see them even this week. Thank you for his salvation. Thank you for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you Sunday.